everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Discovery Church. It's good to see you. Yeah, here we go. Um, a couple quick things before we dive into today's message. Um, we have been pausing for Ukraine and for this war that's been going on. We're going to do that today, but we're going to do it at a different part in our service. So for those of you that, um, that's been a really meaningful piece of our services for you lately. Know that it's coming. Um, we've been in this series called Party On, and it's been so rich. I've been having an absolute way more fun than I should be allowed to have. I mean, it's been really great. But we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. This was in the email this week. I just didn't want you to miss it. If you've been hearing about these festivals and these parties and going, it sounds great, can I go? Like, what, what did these look like? What were they about? We're going to be um, hosting here a Passover Seder meal, not this Friday, but the Friday following. And it's got an event for kids making matzo balls the Thursday night prior. If that's something that you'd like to join us for, we do have limited space. So we are asking for RSVPs. All of that you can get in your email. If you're not getting the church emails, that is really easy to fix. You can jump into the Church Center app. There'll be some links at the end of the service, and you can see stuff there. But again, this is one of those things where you go, this is a decisively Jewish feast. It's a party. And as people who love Jesus or are interested in Jesus, Jewish folks have been having this party for thousands of years at this point. And, and when, when you're somebody who's, who's carrying Jesus or interested in Jesus, when you come and you're part of this meal, your mind and your heart just get blown open because you start seeing the story of God played out throughout history, and in a moment, you're locating yourself in that story going, I'm a part of this thing too. It's incredible. So I'm excited for this thing. I want you to be there. There's like six lamb legs in my freezer right now. I mean, it, we're going to, y'all, we're going to party. It's going to be fun. So make sure that you sign up for that. Also too, um, we've been mentioning this, and we're going to stop mentioning it very shortly, but we have been in a financial position as a church where we're just trying to figure out where we are. COVID's been funny. We've lost some folks. We've gained some folks. Some folks are giving. Some folks are not. And, and we don't know what we're looking at most of the time when we're looking at our giving stuff. So the request has been, really, until we get to May, if you're new to this church or if you're calling this church home, if you're new, gosh, welcome. We're just glad you're here. And don't worry about the rest of what I'm going to say. If you've been calling this church home and giving is one of those things, you're like, oh, we got to get on that and do that. Know that we're, we're in a spot where we're just trying to figure out what's our baseline, what is our income, and then how, how does that help us plan as we're moving forward. So you're invited to do that and know that that's coming. Um, and then finally, we started out this year in January beating the war drum pretty hard on this idea of Sabbath. And if you weren't here for that, Sabbath is this idea, and you're going to hear about it today as we get into our party today. It's this idea that's near and dear to the heart of God, the Father. For those of you that were a part of those sermons and who had been considering Sabbath for yourself, I just wanted to create one brief moment at the beginning of this message to go, how's it going? Because it can so easily become one of those spiritual practices and, and disciplines that you go, yeah, we did it like one or two weeks in a row and then we just got busy. And the, the challenge that I want to push back toward you is we're going to talk about something today and again, and I don't, if you've been hearing it every week, most of these parties and festivals, God starts out by saying, hey, here's a new party. Start by not working 
It's a Sabbath. And, and you just, I, you cannot afford to miss the importance of the spiritual practice and the spiritual discipline of going, we're going to choose not to work because it draws us closer to the heart of God. So if that's something that you just needed a little bit of a shot in the shoulder, take a Sabbath. It's a gift from God to you. Okay, you guys, here we go. Um, I really, it, it, I am having more fun than I should be allowed to have. We're, we're coming up on Easter have you ever had this moment where you're talking with a friend, maybe they don't know the story of the gospel, and whether you're a Christian or not, if you're familiar enough with it, what ends up coming out of your mouth is, well, we're all sinners, and then Jesus died, and now our sins are forgiven. And then the person that you're talking to is like, what? Like, what sort of weird magical voodoo, like how does this whole system work? And especially as we get close to Easter, if, if sharing the story of how this cross and this resurrection, if it's something for you that kind of feels like, well, I, I know the facts, like I can communicate the facts, but if the guts and the why, if you struggle to, to communicate or understand or even just own in your own heart, why? What's, what's the importance of this? Yeah, the world's messed up and broken. It's hard to find somebody to disagree on that point. But when you go, well, this, this one guy died and that fixes it all, <laughs> There's, there's a lot of questions that you have to answer right away. Well, how does one guy fix it for everybody? That's concerning. How, how does something that happened 2,000 years ago fix it if it's still busted? What's going on there? And, and who set up some system like this where that could be how things work? And it doesn't matter if you're five. If you're, if you're sitting in here and you're five, you're invited today to hear this story. And I hope that... It, I hope it brings you to life. And if you're 85 and you're sitting here, I hope that even if you've heard this a thousand times, that something in your heart rate quickens as you just go, I love this story. Um, we're headed into a party today. I'm sorry, I'm a little turned up emotionally. We're headed into a party today called Yom Kippur. And if you're like me, I don't know where I got this. I was joking with Aaron this morning. My whole life I've been calling it Yom Kippur. <laughs> no Jewish person calls it Yom Kippur. It's Yom Kippur. I, don't, I just, it sounds more stylized. I don't know why we do that. But if you've been calling it Yom Kippur, you're like me. And don't call it that anymore. It's Yom Kippur. Um, and if you're new to this, man, if you're new to this, you don't know yet, and I hope that in 30 minutes you do, your faith is rooted in this one. Ah, it's so good. If we're going to understand it, there's a couple visuals that you need to have in the back of your mind, and it's all going to surround, again, man, these parties you cannot understand unless you know the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus and the story just in the first two books of the Bible that God has been telling. So if you're new to this whole thing, you're like, I'm trying to figure this out. How do these parties relate? Where does Jesus come in? All the time we say, man, start in the book of Mark or Matthew or John, start in Genesis and Exodus, and so many things start to make sense. But we're going to pick up in a part in the story in the book of Exodus. And God has brought these people out of slavery. It's this nation, it's this group of Jewish people, these Hebrews. They've been in slavery for 400 years. He brings them out in the desert. So many of these parties, if you've been coming and hearing, are related to this particular season, this particular event. And once he gets them out there, he gives them, he, he calls them up on the mountain. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He gives them these 10 commandments. And he says, this is what it looks like. Now go live it out. 
And, and part of then what he gives them is some instructions on the house that he wants them to build for him. Just as a total teaser, the tabernacle is this big tent because they're nomads. They're moving from this wilderness to the country of Israel where they're eventually going to be, this promised land. This tent that they're supposed to build is, is a pretty special tent. It echoes the creation story. If you look at what God wants in there and the order that those things show up, and you look at Genesis 1, God is saying, I want you to create for me a tent that is a mobile Genesis 1. It's fantastic. We're not going to get into that today. I'm just kicking the beehive and running away. It's so cool. But here's what this thing looks like. If you were just to look at the tabernacle, this whole thing, including the fence around it, this is the tent. This is where God said, I'm going to live here. And as we walk through the desert on our way to the promised land, this is my spot. So you're going to see there's kind of these, this outer gate area, and, and folks could come, well, not folks, the priests could come in there. There would be sacrifices that would be offered there. There's a little, there's a, uh, a place to wash hands. There's a place where blood can be, can be put for these animal sacrifices that they're doing. And then the main event is actually in this, in, in the main tent that you see there. And if you're like, what is that thing coming at? Is there's like a tornado going in there. You're not far off. In, inside of this tent, one of the things that God had him make was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And if you've seen Indiana Jones, you've got a great visual for this thing. But the Ark of the Covenant is what was in there. And what was inside the Ark was a handful of things that were really, really important. But the most important thing about the Ark of the Covenant, it's also called the mercy seat. If you've been hanging out in the New Testament, right away when you hear the words mercy seat, you think of this image. God would say, my presence is going to sit on that Ark of the Covenant. That's my throne. And when I sit there, I'm a, I'm a cloud. It's going to be a cloud. And there's going to be incense that's going to burn. That's part of why incense for him was such a big deal is because it's making all this cloud, all this smoke. But my presence will manifest itself on that mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. That's what I'm doing there. And if you recall, we had a sermon back in the fall about these two brothers, Nadab and Abihu, who were these priests. And they just waltz in there one day thinking like, hey, we're going to throw a party ourselves. And God just strikes them dead. And the, and the message is, this is God of the universe. You listen to him. He's the king. He's the leader. You follow his instructions. And if you have the audacity to just waltz in and look at him and be all crazy and fun, no, you've misjudged this God. He is so fun. He is so awesome. But he's the God who wound the fabric of human DNA. He's the God who put stars in the sky and the sun in the sky. And he's chosen to make himself small in a cloud so that he could be with us. And there is a gravity and a respect and an awe that comes with that. That's what's going on inside of this tent. Now, if you could do a cross-section view from the top, here's what you would see. So you have this outside, you've got these burnt offerings that happen there. You enter in through one door, and so it's important that you know this tent is actually broken up into two sections. So there's a part where the priest could enter and there would be different ceremonies that they do in that part. But then there's this veil or this huge curtain. This thing was beautiful. It had two angels that were embroidered into it. Oh, remarkable. But you didn't just waltz in. And this is where Nadab and Abihu just went through both curtains, just going right for the gold. And you can't just do that. And God explains, once a year, 
You can have the high priest come in. But if he's going to do that, there's some special instructions for what that's going to be. And actually, there's a special reason for why he's going to, we're not just going to pick a willy-nilly day. We're actually going to have a particular party on the day that you can come in. And that party is going to be a party that we're going to call Yom Kippur. Okay, are you feeling some of the gravity of like, oh, today's party, we're going into that part of the tent. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to pick up, if you brought your Bible with you, pull that guy out. You're going to need it. Man, we're going to be all over today. It's going to be fun. Uh, Leviticus 16 is where you're going to want to go. We've been hanging out. Most of these parties, you get a quick outline in Leviticus 23. There is a shot that, the, that Yom Kippur, that the Day of Atonement gets in Leviticus 23, but the entire chapter of Leviticus 16 is dedicated to this particular Day of Atonement, and that's where we're going to pick up today's story. So, Leviticus 16, we're going to start in verse 1. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, that's Nadab and Abihu, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come just at any time into the sanctuary inside the curtain before the mercy seat that is upon the ark, or he will die. For I appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus, Aaron, come into the holy place. Okay, pause here for a second. If you're following along in your Bible, you can keep doing that. If you're following along on the screen, I would invite you, close your eyes, because this is where God's going to say, here's how I want you to do this. And I want you to imagine as vividly as possible these instructions. Picture what this is like. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on a holy linen tunic, like a robe. He shall have linen undergarments next to his body. He shall fasten the linen sash and wear a linen turban. So what he's wearing is really important here. These are holy vestments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. Can you imagine if you're reading this for the first time, you're like, hey, put the turban on. Here's the underwear. Here's the robe. Take a bath. Crap. <laughs> he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats, two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall make an atonement for himself and his house. So for all the priests, we're bringing this bull. We're going to sacrifice this bull. That's just for the priests. He shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Okay, if you can picture our pictures from before. Take the goats, set them outside the tent, cast lots. Aaron shall cast lots on these two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Okay, pause, open your eyes if you've been imagining this is now like, hopefully you're already starting to go, whoa, 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 what, 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 <laughs> what's going on? We've got fancy clothes. We've got this Azazel thing going on. Did anybody, anybody recall right away with the name Azazel, a 1998 film with Denzel Washington called The Fallen? Do you remember this movie? 
he's like, a, I think he's a forensic investigator, um, and he's tracking down this murder that was done by the demon Azazel. Um, this, this might be a name that right away, if you've hung out around church, um, Azazel's kind of one of those things that should send up like, is that a demon? Is there a demon involved in this party? Because all of a sudden, this party's not so fun if we're talking about a demon's invited to the party. What is Azazel? Um, could be a couple different things. It could be a demon. Uh, it could be a region in the country that we're going to send this ram out to. But we're going to do some Hebrew lessons today. Um, you tell me what you think Azazel is after this. If you were to look up the, the word as in the Hebrew language, the word that you get is ram. Okay, cool. So if we got Azazel, what does Azel mean? Well, if you look up Azazel in the Hebrew language, you get the word to take away. So are we talking about a demon? I mean, maybe. It just seems to me like we're talking a lot about sins, and this I think will all start to really make sense in just a couple more verses. It could be that we're talking about a ram that's going to take something away. That's just linguistics, right? Okay, so hold on to that and see if that theory fits, because there's a lot. You guys, research this week was a hoot, especially on this Azazel thing, because people get freaky about Azazel. And, and when you just look at it square in the eye, you're like, this is not that weird. We're going to skip ahead to verse 21 in Leviticus 16. It says this in verse 21, then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, this, this goat, and confess over it all the iniquities, all the sins, all the broken places, all the death, all the sickness. He place all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their sins on this goat, and they will send it away into the wilderness by means of somebody designated for that task. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region, and the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. This shall be a statute to you forever. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall deny yourselves, and you shall do no work, neither citizen nor the alien who resides among you. For on this day atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. You shall be clean before the Lord. It's a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall deny yourselves. It's a statute forever. Um, if you're a younger kid and you're like, there's aliens in the Bible. There is aliens in the Bible. It's crazy, but not those aliens. It, it, this alien means if there's people who are not from the nation of Israel, um, they're also invited to rest for the day. But if you've been imagining this now, so you've got Aaron and he's got this, this bull that he brings and that's for his house. He's got a lamb that they're going to offer as a burnt offering. And then he's got these two, these two rams now, this, this should, like, bother you a little bit. It bothers me a little bit. Here's how this party goes. Grab some dice, <laughs> head to the front of the tent, roll the dice. One of those goats, or one of the rams, is lucky because he just gets to be burned all the way down to nothingness. The other goat, unfortunately, is offered to Azazel, which I think you can see now, we're not talking about he's offered to Azazel like it's to some other spiritual property. He's offered to this particular role called Azazel, the ram who will carry something away. And what is he carrying away? Well, then Aaron is supposed to, with this Azazel ram, put his hands on his head and just confess before God, here's everything that's been wrong. 
And as a quick aside, I think sometimes, if this has been your story, I just want to clear this up. Sin can be one of those words, it's like, well, if you drink and you smoke and they say bad words and it's, it's these actions that are dependent on you. And some, yes, that's true, but it's not the best working definition of sin. Sin at a fundamental level is things, things are broken in our hard wiring. At some point along the way, we stopped choosing to trust God and we've chosen to trust our own selves. And so when he's putting his hands on the, on the head of this ram, what he's saying is everything that's broken, not just the bad things that we've done, although yes to those, but God, we're deeply broken. We're people who don't choose you very well. We're going to put all of that on this ram, symbolically. Pretty wild. And then apparently we're going to send this ram out into the wilderness. To do what? Pretty crazy. Now, here's the few questions that I would say. Let's dive into these for today. If the issue is sin with this party, which, like, there's some cognitive dissonance for you. <laughs> we're having a sin party. What... Why can't God just forgive it? Why do we have to have these rams? Why, why all this sacrifice? Why all the blood? Why can't God just forgive? What's up with a goat? <laughs> what, why do we sacrifice a goat, this ram? Sorry, it's not a goat. It's a ram. That's a sheep. Keep mixing that up. And finally, if you caught at the end, he says fast. I want you to fast for this party. Don't eat anything. Take a Sabbath. Don't eat anything. Refrain from that stuff. Why? So why can't he forgive? Why the goat? Why the fast? What's the deal? First question, why can't God just forgive? I mean, he's God. He can do anything he wants. Why do we have to go through all these hoops? I think there's a common misconception out there that God can do whatever he likes. In truth, he can. But if he's going to be God, he has a character and a name to uphold. He has to be who he is, or else he ceases to be who he is. He's good. He can't not be good if he's God. He can't lie because he doesn't lie, because he's God, because he's good. He can't do evil things. If he's going to be who he is, there, it's, there's something there that he cannot violate. And this is not a prison cell that's then been built around him. This is what makes him who he is. This is the stuff of life. This is freedom at its finest. Freedom cannot be jailed. God has limits. He's just always. And it's so good. This also means that when there's an offense, justice must be served. That cannot be broken or God ceases to be who he is. Every time an injustice occurs, something must be done about it. So if he's always just, what then is the punishment? What's the sliding scale? How do we know when something's wrong? What's the right punishment? We have a legal system in America that's incredibly robust. We have all kinds of penalties for all kinds of things. With all, It's wild. God's a little bit more simple with his. If you want to turn to Genesis 2.16, you'll begin to see this is kind of how simplistic he gets about life and what he wants things to be. Genesis 2.16, which right away you go, well, Genesis, that's Adam and Eve. 
what in there tells us about how God is just. And it says this in 2.16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, this is Adam, you may eat freely from every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. There's a pretty simple system here. And it continues throughout the entire story of Scripture. God is life. Everything he does is good. We're invited to understand him and to live that way. And when we choose life, we live. And it should not be a crazy amount of logic, and it's clear in the text. When you choose not life, you get not life. You get death. So for God, who is always just, he's saying, look, if you want to understand my legal system of things, life is it. And anything other than life is death. God's explaining this to Adam because he's saying, I want you to listen and obey. I want you to trust me. I want you to choose my way. And and I built you this way but I also built you with the ability to choose, which means you're gonna have your own desires. There's gonna be moments where you're gonna have a choice to make and the choice will be this, do I want to do what God said or do I wanna do what I wanna do? And and for God, it's just this simple story where he goes, I'm just gonna put one thing into the story. It's a tree, don't eat from the tree, simple. Don't do what you want. It's actually the highest form of worship that God is offering to Adam, that Adam would be fully human, fully alive, that he would resist his own desires that conflict with God's and to choose to trust God every time, maybe better, that he would depend on God all the time, that he would let him lead. So in order for justice to happen, in order for God to remain God, not that he's at risk of not becoming God, but when there is a sin, when there's something other than what he wants. There must be death. It's just how justice works. And this story leads right into our second question. Why the goat? Man, if you missed, we had a sermon back in January that was titled Beast Mode and a Nudist Colony. There's a title for you. If you missed this one, I would strongly recommend go back because it will blow your mind when it comes to this Yom Kippur thing. On this, on this particular sermon, we were talking about how Adam, before Eve is created, Adam has these moments where God is parading the animals in front of him and God's saying, name the animals. And he's naming all the animals and it says that he couldn't find any, any match for himself. And then as we go further into the story, we've got Eve and she's talking with this snake and there's this weird tension between these animals and these people. Why is God including all this tension in the story? And the point that we landed on, the point of Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 is that God is trying to get Adam and Eve to understand you are not an animal. Animals do whatever they feel like doing. They follow their desires. You're a human being. You have desires. You can choose to follow them and then become like this animal, or you can choose to deny your own desires and choose my way. That's the story that gets told in Genesis 2 and 3. So why do we sacrifice an animal? God is saying, look, for every sin that you've had, 
for the brokenness that's in the world, the reason is because there was something animalistic about it. You ceased being human in those moments. So we're gonna have an animal, and I want you to see yourself in this animal. I want you to see your choices as animal choices. We're gonna put those choices back onto an animal and we're gonna send it away. And in doing this, let your lungs expand and stand up straight because the animal has been sent out of you once again and now you are fully human. The highest form of worship. Choose me as we move forward. This animal, this ram, is physically representing our spiritual situation. It's who we have chosen to be, but it is not who we are. I love that at Discovery we have the mantra, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you are welcome here. And that is not just a saying about Discovery Christian Church. That is a saying from the kingdom of heaven itself. You are not an animal no matter what choices you've made, no matter what choices have been made around you or about you, you are a human made in the image of God, fully loved. And it's weird with this goat. Goat, why do I keep saying goat? It's a ram, I'm so sorry, it's a ram. That's important. Why the field trip with this one? Like, it's, this is a, a culture where we're, we're just sacrificing animals all the time, but this one, we lay our hands on it, we just send it out. Why? And, and if you read more about the context of what this person was supposed to do, they would elect someone, and they, they, they had their own instructions, if you keep reading Leviticus 16, of what they had to do to, like, clean off when they got back. It was pretty wild stuff. But they have to take them out into the wilderness, and it's not just drop them off somewhere. They have to take them up to this, these high peaks, these high cliffs, And they're not supposed to shove it. They're not supposed to touch it. They're not supposed to kill it. They just drop it off on the top of a cliff and they back away slowly and they go back to Israel. But it was very clear, if you know anything about how how dumb sheep are, if you take a sheep to the top of a cliff and the only way down is to fall or to follow the one path that your shepherd didn't go down, it was just some dude, that sheep's gonna die. And this is now, I, I want to now start weaving in the poetry of Yom Kippur for you. The way that this sheep would die is it would fall off the cliff. It would be crushed. It would be bruised. This is how this sheep would die. And the reason why they didn't sacrifice it, I mean, all these, the sacrificial system in Israel was amazing. There were all these rules about how humane these sacrifices had to be, how much, what percent of the neck had to be cut. They had to use a particular kind of knife that was smooth and super sharp. And the idea was we do not want this animal to suffer. It's totally different with this Azazel ram. We're not killing this one. God is. And if you're looking for more proof on this, isn't it weird to you that we're throwing dice? Like, this is the first party where that actually makes sense, and in the same breath, when you look at it in context, you're like, this is not a game, this is weird. We're throwing dice to choose which ram we send into the wilderness to fall off a cliff and die. Why do we throw dice when God's involved? And the reason is because God's saying, you don't get to choose this ram. You don't get to choose this sacrifice. This one is on me. I'm going to choose. So you, you roll the dice. I'm going to choose which way it falls. I'm going to choose the ram that I want. I'm going to choose the ram that I'm going to sacrifice to myself. 
So, why the fast? Or sorry, why the field trip? This is God's justice, and he was going to carry this one out. That's really important. And then this fast, why the fast? Well, it's becoming a little bit more obvious as we're looking at all this. Fasting is an intensely human activity. It's really hard to find a fish or a deer or a lion who fasts. It's because they're animals, and animals do what they want to do. They, they follow their desires. And it's as if in this moment God is saying, look, you're not an animal, and we're going to take the animal things out of you and put it on an animal and send that animal away. You're fully human. The first act that I want you to take on is the intensely human act. Deny yourself for a whole day. And this wasn't just food. This was marital relations. I mean, there, there were so many things that God was saying. All of your desires, the things that you want, that's what I'm wanting you to fast from. Choose those things and rest. Fast from work. Oh, it's amazing. God's saying in this party, look, you're atoned for. You're a human again. You're my kid. You're my daughter. You're my son. The animal's gone. It's you. It's almost like a homecoming where you can picture a dad or a mom holding on to the face of their kid who's come home for the first time in forever from college or from a trip or from just leaving and going, there you are. I knew you were in there. I'm so glad that you're home. That's Yom Kippur. And now we're going to paint in color. I've been really troubled. I've got heard from a handful of people. They're going, there's just not enough Jesus as we're talking about these Old Testament parties. And I, it, you just can't miss it. It's too dang good. Can you see Jesus in this thing yet? Mm, here, just technicolor, here we go. It seems like this would be the best holiday for the cross to center on, right? Like the cross of Jesus, we've got a sacrifice, God's choose, but, but it's Passover, and that's what we're gonna talk about next week, and oh, when you understand why it's not this one, but it's Passover, oh, it's so fun. But instead, this system purely lets us know how atonement works. If you've ever been talking with a friend and you go, well, Christ died for our sins, it's this guy, and you're forgiven. If that feels empty, like I, I don't actually know why or how that works, here's the story. We're dirty. We're animals. We've chosen animalistic things. And most of the time, I think in our culture, when we screw up or we do bad things or bad things happen to us, when you get a diagnosis that you're sick, there just is a sense then that you go, well, I guess we just move on. Like, this is just, this is how it is. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is, yes, you're messed up, and people are messed up. The world is messed up. Your body is messed up. You don't just move along. There's more that's coming for you. You need to get cleaned up. But how? How could you possibly get that out of you? because you need to be cleaned up in a way that puts you back in your spirit and in your soul to who you were supposed to be. How? We can't, we're not just washing off an animal, but we're taking the animal out of us to restore us to our humanity. Jesus died on the cross. And here it is to put all these dots together. Here's a painting by William Blake, who's a profound artist and writer, struggled a ton in his mental health, 1800s-ish. This is his painting of the Roman um, guards gambling, casting lots 
is how the Bible records this for Jesus' garments. If you're a Jewish person who's grown up with Yom Kippur, you cannot help but see the direct correlation of God in this moment saying, you know who chose to put this Jesus on the cross? I did. Because the lot was left up to me and I chose. And do you know whose death, do you, you know who did that? You did not kill him. This sacrifice, this Azazel, this was mine. You t- we took him to a cliff and I chose his manner of death. There was an intentionality to it. It was grotesque. It was brutal. In the words of Isaiah, in Isaiah 50, in the 50s of Isaiah, all of them, he was bruised and crushed for our sins. That's the words that the Bible used in Isaiah. For those willing to confess Jesus, their sins are forgiven. You might know a very famous Bible verse, John 3, 16. You reach out and you put your hand on this Jesus and say, I need you to take the animal out of me. I need to be fully human again. And then the the mind-blowing beauty in this particular story is that God is flipping the script in an incredible way. He's not just saying, put your hand on the head of an animal and see yourself in the animal, pull the animal out of you. He's, he's flipping it even more, going, see the most fully human human that's ever lived. Put your hand on them and let them come into you. Your sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus because he was bruised and crushed, but through touching the fully human man of Jesus, you now have the example again of what it means to stand up straight and let your lungs fully expand and go, I am a human who has the ability to choose what God wants me to be, what God wants me to do. Oh, it's so good. When Jesus breathes his last Scripture tells us that the veil on that temple, that last place where Nadab and Abihu just kind of waltzed through, where it was, they messed up, a veil gets torn in half at Jesus' last breath. And as if God is saying in this moment, look, we've had this whole system on Yom Kippur, only one person, the high priest, he had to put on special underwear, he had to go in and do all this stuff. We had to put our hands on this ram. On this ram. That whole system, I just want you to know, this is the last one, because now my presence is free to be with you again, because you're fully human, and I can be with you, because I can't be around sin, I can't be around evil, I can't be around lies, but I can be around a people who choose me perfectly. I'm gonna call Aaron and Alex back up But the question of today, and it's heavy, but heck, we're coming up on Easter. It's really good to ask, is where do you put your sin? The things that you do wrong, do you just carry on just another day? Everybody's broken, that's just how it is. Are there moments in life, special moments, where you would put your hand on this Jesus, where you would confess him and say, I need you to take this away. I need God to deal with this so that I can be who I'm supposed to be again. Come back to life, friends. For all of us, this is not some like, well, if you're Christian, you don't have to worry about it anymore. For all of us. Jesus did it once and he did it perfectly. We are experiencing it in real time. What do you do with your sin? Reach out.
and grab onto this Jesus. Let him remove the animal desire that's in you and let him teach you a new way so that you can be a human being again. Let him grab your face like a kid who's been gone for a while as he looks at you and says, finally, you're home. Let me train you how to live in my house. Let me show you what it means to be a human again because we got a lot that we get to do together. And I've got a whole future, a whole home that's built for you and I. You're forgiven, kiddo. Welcome home. We're gonna sing, because it's good. But as you do, I would invite you. What would it look like just to reach out your hand? I mean, we have a symbol of this Hazazel that is here in this church all the time. What would it look like, just this symbol of where you're at in your own life, just to reach out and say, I need that. I'm sick, and I need hope. I'm broken, and I need to be cleaned off. I've chosen the wrong things over and over again, and I need help. I, I want him to be my Azazel. I want the life I was supposed to have. And let the forgiveness, let his hands hold you as he says, yes, it's forgiven and it's finished in your home. Let's stand and sing together.